It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 608 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful at doing whatever you want to do in your garden, your landscape, your garden, your landscape, your garden, your landscape, your trees, your shrubs, your flowers, anything that has to do with a plant or the outdoor natural world. If you have a question about that, you heard the number, 404-872-0750. Get in quick because this is a short show. Once again, the Bulldog Show today begins um, at 8 o'clock. So the Bulldog Brunch, Bulldog Preview Show, I should say, begins at 8 o'clock. Kickoff today at 12 noon at News Talk WSB. And if you have questions about what all this rain has done to your lawn, your landscape, or your garden, that would be a particularly apropos question to ask this morning because it's been wet. It's rained like crazy. Uh, I don't know if it's more exactly than we expected, but with El Nino and the other effects of uh, the massive the big weather patterns that go all over the world, then we've considerably exceeded our tolerance for rain in the first part of November. And a lot of people have asked, you know, they were listening to the radio show back in September, and they heard me say, put your pre-emergent out down now. Put your pre-emergent down now to prevent the winter weeds. Well, then came all this deluge of water over the past couple of weeks, and they're wondering if their pre-emergent is still there. And the good news is, generally speaking, yes, the pre-emergent chemical is still in your lawn exactly where you applied it. It didn't go anywhere. The only time it would go somewhere would be if you had such a steep slope, maybe that erosion washed the upper half inch, maybe of soil off your off your lawn or off your garden slope. Because then, yeah, the pre-emergent is in that soil; it gets washed down to the street. But unless you had a real bad problem with the erosion, generally speaking the pre-emergent chemicals are still there and are doing their job preventing the weeds like annual bluegrass and chickweed and the rest of them from germinating during the wintertime. And I know that they are germinating now because I saw both the chickweed and the uh, annual bluegrass that were sprouting on a little edge of my lawn, a little edge of my lawn where I didn't get the pre-emergent last uh, September, this past September. So I know that it's possible that you have... Um, that you have some uh, failure, but that's mostly because I didn't apply it correctly there. <laughs> so that's the reason for that. If you have questions about what to do for, oh, 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 amaryllis. That's my exciting um, uh, experiment, I guess, this winter, is to take the amaryllis that I gave to my neighbors last year. I told, told you this last uh, November or so that I was buying some amaryllis bowls, and I was going to pot them up and give them to my neighbors for a, for a Christmas present. And so I did, and they bloomed spectacularly. They did great. And so once they were finished blooming at my neighbor's houses, I asked for the, the bulbs back. I said, come on, give me all those bulbs back, and I'll try an experiment. And so I took all those amaryllis bulbs and put them in my garden in a place that I had really, really prepared well for bulbs to grow. Nice, rich, well-drained, got a lot of organic matter in it. Nice place in the garden. Put those amaryllis bulbs. I put them out around the... 15th, I guess, of April and left them in the garden. And boy, did they grow. They were happy, happy, happy. Big, long green leaves, big, big looking bulb. You can see part of the bulb as it emerged from the ground. And so then around the 1st of September last, maybe the second week of September this year, I went out to my garden where those big bulbs, big leaves and everything were growing, dug up the bulbs, half of them anyway, and uh, clipped off the leaves, clipped off the roots and brought them inside to a cool place inside my house. 
the theory being that that's how you force amaryllis bulbs to bloom at the time they're not expecting to bloom. Because now the amaryllis that are in the cool place inside my house are thinking, oh, wintertime, wintertime, we can't do anything right now. Better stay low and not do anything. And then sometime around the last week, maybe the first week of December, last week of November, I'll take those amaryllis bulbs out, put them in a little pot with some potting soil, put some warm water and a little bit of fertilizer in there, and theoretically they're going to sprout new leaves. They'll bloom probably three weeks after that, and I'll give them back to my neighbors. Blooming. How about that? Force them to do it. That's what I hope will happen. There's always a slip betwixt tongue and lip, and possibly I will not get that exactly right, and they'll bloom sometime in January, but we will see. We will see how this works. 404-872-0750, the number on Lawn and Garden. Cole is in McDonough, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Cole, good morning. Good morning. What's up? All right, so basically I bought an uh, orange tree mm-hmm. um, like a, in the summer uh, from Home Depot, and this is like an indoor orange tree, but of course I put it on the porch through the, during the summer. Yeah. Uh, now i got to bring it back in. Um, I was wondering what type of, like, like light do I need? Uh, and also, should I like transplant it again in different soil when I bring it in stores? Because I'm, I plan on making my own like little greenhouse. Um, <laughs> Great. So uh, basically, I guess what I need help with is just like the light bulb, like what type yeah. of wattage would I need? And is it good to transplant it and maybe even keep it uh, like fertilized during the winter too? So to clarify, it's in the ground outside now or in a pot? Uh, it's in a pot. Okay. Um, the, as far as the question about light goes, as much as you can possibly give it is the right okay. answer. Uh, one bulb, probably not enough. Uh, it'll, it may have a couple of new leaves on it, but one fluorescent or even one CFL curlicue fluorescent bulb is just not enough. And last year when I, was, uh, when I brought my Meyer lemon in, I'm in the same situation as you, that I have a citrus tree that's outdoors right now and potted. But it has to be brought in before it freezes because it'll, it'll not be happy with that. So when I brought my Meyer lemon inside, I had three, one, two, three, yeah, three shiny aluminum round, uh, I call them shop lights, and I screwed in 100-watt equivalent CFL bulbs into them. And so I had three of them, so that's, you know, 300 watts or so. They could probably use 500 watts, but I didn't have any more more uh, reflectors to use. So I put that on there. They look the the Meyer lemon leaves look sort of yellowish when I took them back outside. It was mostly affected though by spider mites. Different problem completely, but it had spider mites on it during the winter time and lost a bunch of leaves because of that. So to answer the first question, as much light as you can give it is the right answer. Uh, the second question is, as far as the soil goes, Cole. I think you'd have to just dig, take a teaspoon or something and dig around the soil and see how hard it is because soils, potting soils, decompose during the time you have a plant in there. They become gradually a little harder, a little harder, a little harder, and don't let moisture go through them very readily. So if it was a pretty big plant, I would say eh, it's going to be more trouble than it's worth. But if it's a relatively small plant, a couple of feet, maybe three feet high, I might yeah. go ahead and, and repot it, just take it out. need a, a buddy probably to help with it to sort of help you lift it up out of the pot to knock off the dirt. You can do that outdoors now. And then uh, get some new potting soil so one guy holds it and the other one sifts the potting soil around the root system to put new, fresh soil in there. Okay. And All fertilize right, it. You. A little, little tiny bit of fertilizer. Not a lot, but a little bit of miracle Grow, maybe half-strength half, half uh, miracle Grow fertilizer might do well for it as well. But that... 
will give you some, some more leaves, but the leaves need the light. So really concentrate on how you're going to put some light on it, right close to the foliage. I had my reflectors, they were no more than six inches away from the foliage and the leaves of my Meyer lemon. So it needs to be real close, real close. Um, and you're looking at like what, like a, like eight hours of sunlight or? I didn't mind, light. shoot, I didn't mind cold for blah, 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 blah. So it came on probably around um, five, six o'clock in the evening, I guess. And it ran until close to five or six o'clock the next morning. So it was at least 12 hours of sunshine that I had on mine. Okay. So All you're right. going to send us pictures? You're going to give us a little little evidence of what happened with your citrus tree? <laughs> I, I will. I'll send citrus. Where did where'd you get it originally, Cole? Uh, I bought it at Home Depot. I was actually, uh, I bought it when I was working there. I don't work uh-huh. at Home Depot anymore, but right. um, I thought it was like, it was my first like little plant that I ever bought. I was <laughs> 25, so I was like, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I have this plant now. I feel yeah. kind of attached to it. Yeah, of course. It's been with me for like a few months. And, <laughs> and uh, it's like a little kid of mine. So like now I feel like, well, I can't, can't die now. I got <laughs> Stay alive, old buddy. Have you, you given it a name? Me. If you've given it a name, that's going too yeah, far. Yeah, it's it's a George <laughs> the Orange Tree. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really proud of that. It's, <laughs> wow. But I uh, know George the Orange Tree. Yeah, and uh, anyways, uh, he hasn't produced any fruit because I'm yeah. expecting that probably like next year. Yeah, it'll take a little while for it to get mature enough yeah. to make flower buds and all that. Well, oh, well. what I plan on like having is like build my own like little greenhouse. Uh, probably go to Home Depot today. Right. But, uh, have like a PVC pipe or something like sure, that. Sure, that have works it great. Around, like wrapped around with like plastic, and then have these lights like trap humidity, and have like a little like a little bowl of water. Send me a picture. Have, I would love to see a picture of what you got going on, Cole. That would be fun to do. Go to my WalterReeves.com website down the lower right hand corner. It says Contact Walter. Click on that and send me an email to show me some pictures. All right. Once I uh, once I built this thing, I'll probably send a few pictures your way. Sounds great. Looking forward to it, Cole. Thanks for calling. All right. Have a good day. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Cole's place. David and Tucker in a few minutes wants to know what is the temperature of the water that I use on my indoor plants. And I have a wide variation. I'll tell David why that wide variation is, is happening. Rose and Roswell also wants to know why the chipmunks are digging out her panties. Lewis over in North Carolina wants to know how to work, how much work is it to grow potatoes and differing amounts for Irish potatoes and for sweet potatoes. We'll find out about that as well. Again, 404-872-0750. We'll be right back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Bottom line is getting a break from that gloomy wet weather last week. So get outside, get in the dirt. We're going to see nothing but sunshine, clear skies throughout the day. Afternoon highs up in the low 60s, so not as warm as it has been a couple, three weeks ago. Clear skies remain overnight. Temperatures down to the low to mid-30s. A little chilly tonight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95 at AM 750 WSB. Um, David, how about David and Tucker? Join us on Lawn and Garden, David. Hey, man, good morning. Good morning. Uh, what impact does the various temperature of water you use on your indoor and outdoor plants, particularly the outdoor ones that have been newly planted, yeah. and do butterfly bushes or hydrangeas uh, available for purchase other than plant form? Ooh, let's do the temperature first, because the temperature range 
it ranges from ice cube cold because for my orchid in my sunroom, it gets two ice cubes every Saturday when I get home from radio. That's how I remember. Go to radio, hmm. come home, put two ice cubes on the orchid. Um, and so there it's freezing. And then the temperature sometimes when I was watering my tomatoes during the summer with a hose and the temperature of the water coming out of the hose was easily above 100 and 100 and bump degrees because of the sunshine that heated the water in the hose for a couple of minutes as it ran. So I would not put that hot, hot water on any of my potted plants. But when it was time to water one of the in-ground shrubs and things that I'd planted back in the spring, I sort of sprayed the water around the plant on the ground. And then uh, when it cooled down a little bit, I put it on the uh, on the plant itself and the root system itself. So why were you asking, David? Uh, well, I have some plants uh you know, going in, I couldn't put them in because of the rain. Yeah. And now we've got the cold weather, and yeah. uh, you know, people talking about playing in the fall. We've still got warm ground. Well, I figure the ground's getting cold now, and yep. I had no idea if, uh, the water you used on it would have any meaningful effect on that at all. I think the latter. I think not much meaningful effect. You would think it would with cold water or hot water going on them, but with the orchid, they're perfectly fine with the cold water, and with the tomatoes, they grew perfectly fine with some hot water. So I think it's not a big deal. And the hydrangeas, butterfly bush, they're just available as as a plant. You see in the the greenhouses, there's no bulb, whatever. No, no bulb. They are a plant. They're a woody, a woody plant. Some of them have you know a good bit of greenery, green stems, and things like that on them. But yeah, they're all woody plants. No bulbs, at least for the ones you told me. No, no bulbs there. All right, thank you. Hey, David, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take David's place. We'll be right back after news. Love you. Shine love on me. Shine the sunshine. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 635 on a Saturday morning. Welcome, my friends. This is Lawn and Garden. Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to bring a little happiness into your garden and give you things to do. <laughs> speaking, speaking of things to do, Ashley Frasca, did you ever get the crepe myrtle planted in your yard? Did I ever? That was hard to dig that hole. That's why this is so much fun to be on the radio. I tell other people to dig big holes and know in a good environment for their plants. So what did you do? Well, I was cursing my husband, first of all, because I had asked him for weeks to do this hole, and he never did. And then he went out of town. So, I mean, all I kept thinking was, you know, I can't make it too deep, but I've got to make it wide enough. Good. That's right. So I dug as much as I thought I needed to. But, I mean, it was a heavy tree, too, for me to keep putting it in the hole and then realize the hole's not wide enough and then take the tree back out and dig a little more. And I hit rocks. I hit Mountain Dew bottles. I mean, I just kept coming up against obstacles trying to dig the sides of this hole out. But that was the right thing to do. I mean, that crepe myrtle, to achieve its best growth, is going to want to send its roots far and wide. Not deep, but far and wide to uh, to be able to grow very well. Do you know what variety you got? I'm not sure. Got it at one of the big uh-huh. box stores and just... Took it out of the pot, put it in the ground. But when I was doing it, Joe Lample and I had had a really good discussion on studies that say, you know, don't necessarily introduce all this, um, like, planting soil or, yeah. you know, potting soil into the hole. It needs just native right, soil. So, right. of course, you know, I backfilled it. But 
It's just red clay now at the top, so I probably need to mulch over it, don't I? Mulching will eventually break down and get into the soil too. But Joe and you, Joe is exactly right. You only seem to want to loosen the soil, get oxygen available to the roots. That's what they'll follow, not adding a lot of soil amendments for large woody plants like trees and large shrubs like a crepe myrtle. So uh, it seems heretical, really, for me to say all the time, oh, do you add organic matter to your soil when you have a pansy bed or flower bed or something like that? And research has proven that to be beneficial. But for large woody things like a big crepe myrtle, big trees and things like that, research just doesn't show much improvement in growth at all if you add amendments to the soil. All you have to do is chop the soil up real good, make it nice and soft for, I don't know, five or six feet out from the trunk in all directions, and the trees and shrubs seem to do just fine. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, you you can't break that soil up enough. I mean, you just keep going at it and going at it. So next task is the sweet shrub, the calicanthus that I've talked about planting. Two of those know exactly where I want them. So I can dig those holes. I'm ready now. But, you know, just making the hole wide enough is really, really key. And I remind everybody that Pike Nursery opened this weekend, of course, and there's going to be a very nice Pike Pick sale this weekend. You can wait till um, uh, probably, what do we want to do that? 7.30 maybe, Ash? Yep, 7.30. Right, so 7.30, we'll talk to Mickey Gasway about the Pike Pick of the weekend, but I will promise you it's something that will be very nice in your landscape and something that you'll need to dig a hole as Ashley has described. 404-872-0750 is my number. Rose is out in Roswell. And Rose joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Rose, good morning. Good morning. What's up? Well, I have uh, some pansies that I've planted on my front porch, and it seems like this happens every year. Either the squirrels or chipmunks are getting into the pansies, I think, and so they're shriveling up and dying. So I'm not sure what to do about this. Mm. In my experience, there's not a whole lot that will repel a squirrel or a chipmunk from a pot if they want to dig. On the other hand, I've had success one time. This is the only time I really needed to try it, and it wasn't even living in the house that I live in now. But I remember I had a pot on the back um, deck, and the squirrels or chipmunks or something kept digging in the soil. And so I just happened to have some chicken wire, one-inch mesh chicken wire, and I cut a circle of it and made a, a slit in that so I could fit it around the trunk of the whatever I had in that pot. And that seemed to stop the squirrel-chipmunk damage completely because they just couldn't dig through the chicken wire that was on top of the soil. So that might be the only thing you can do. So you put the chicken wire on top of the pansies? On, no, on, uh, I know pansies is going to be hard because they're planted relatively... Yeah close to each other, but you possibly could get some chicken wire, cut it into strips, maybe, what, four, five, six inches wide and a foot Uh or so long, and just lay them on the ground around your pansy plants. You have plenty of these little strips that you make with your uh, wire cutters or tin snips, and just put them on the ground around the pansies and cover them with a little bit of pine straw, and the digging critters won't be able to go through that, I don't think. Okay. Okay, I'll try it. Thanks a lot. That ought to work. That ought to work. But again, not any repellents like, you know, the deer repellents and the other things we get. I just don't think they work at all on squirrels. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, Rose. Thanks for calling. We've got uh, Lewis up in North Carolina who wants to join us this morning. Hey, Lewis. Good morning. Hey, this is your old uh, aquaponics uh, friend here. Yeah, man. I'm now in Blacksburg, South Carolina, but... uh, going to ask you about potatoes is that is that a continuous plant or is that a seasonal which which kind of potato the sweet potato or the irish regular uh, russet potato it is uh annual it's not a not a perennial plant so you plant the 
little sections of a sweet potato or an Irish potato in usually February or March, maybe, and put them in the garden, dig the soil around real nicely so it's nice and soft, cover them with another layer of, I don't know, an inch or two of soil. And then during the next months from March until probably the first to the middle of June, they'll grow like crazy in the soil, make it little potatoes, and you dig them up in the first couple of weeks in June. But then after okay. that, you, there's no, nothing left for you to, to uh, grow and become potatoes after that. So once you've harvested the potatoes in June, end of story, plant something else. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, Lewis, let me tell you, there are a lot of people this year who have discovered how big sweet potatoes will grow. And I'm one of them because I'd forgotten when I planted three, one, two, three, uh, sweet potatoes at a friend of mine's house. And I thought there was plenty of room in the bed. Man, it's over the bed. It's out to the lawn. The sweet potatoes have really, really, really given us a, a show of how fast they can grow. And the wonderful thing, I think, about sweet potatoes is that the leaves look really good. They are really attractive. They have sort of a, a reddish, purplish model, not model, but um, grad, gradual color that's on the leaves. It really, really makes those uh, sweet potatoes a pretty ornamental plant as well as something edible. And a lot of people know they're edible uh, sweet potatoes that you can grow, Beauregard and Alabama One and things like that. But then there's ornamental sweet potatoes that were introduced about... 15, I guess, years ago by Dr. Armitage at the University of Georgia, and ornamental sweet potatoes will have a sweet potato fruit. It'll be sort of marky. It has a lot of roughage in it, you know, but you can eat those just as well as you can eat the ones that you cultivate. So either way, you win. Sweet potatoes are a great plant, and Irish potatoes as well. Coming up, let's go to uh, Michael, who's in Hateful, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Michael, good morning. Hello? Hey, Michael, good morning. Uh, yes, sir. Good morning. Um, I just had a question uh, about uh, dandelions. When I was growing up, my grandmother, she would uh, go out in the spring in the yard, and uh, when the dandelions uh, were flowers, she yeah. would clip the, clip the flowers and the uh, leaves, and she would use them in her salads, mm -hmm. and she called it her spring salad. <laughs> and I was just wondering uh, if you know anybody could give me any input on uh, what nutritional value a uh, Dandelion, what happened? Well, I guess the right answer, you can ask me and I'll tell you the right answer. The right answer is not a whole lot. Sort of like leaf lettuce uh, has more nutrition in it than head lettuce does, but I think the dandelion is closer to leaf lettuce perhaps, but it really, neither one of them have a lot of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and things like that. You're not going to you know, have a big vitamin pill by taking the uh, dandelion leaves, but they are perfectly edible. There's nothing wrong with your grandmother making salads out of the leaves of a dandelion. They're, yeah, they're perfectly edible, have a little bit of a, a tang to them when you, when you eat them, and they're not bad to have in salads. So when you have them, eat them, no problem. All right. I appreciate listening to your show every morning, and uh, I really enjoy it. Michael, let me add on to the question we had just now from a guy that was asking about his potatoes. One of the things that I have not done in my life is to eat the leaves of a sweet potato in a salad, but you could at least consider doing that is growing sweet potatoes next year and let that vine, I just described it as being just a rampant vine all over the lawn beside the bed, but those uh, leaves can be clipped off with a pair of scissors, and you could add those to salads, too. So sweet potato leaves are eminently edible, just like dandelions are. I didn't know that. I, I appreciate that? it. Yeah, I haven't eaten them yet. They Again, I've eaten a raw leaf, just sort of passing by the sweet potatoes and took a leaf and put it in my mouth. And it, again, had sort of a tang to it. But I can see how it could be mixed in with some lettuce and some other things and make a very nice salad. So try that, Michael, as well as your dandelions. We'll try some sweet potatoes, too, next year. 
All right. Y'all have a good day. All right, man. You too. 404-872-0750 gets you in for that slot. Kevin is in Atlanta, and Kevin joins us on Lawn and Garden. Kevin, man, Good hey. Good morning. How are you today? Just fine. How can I help, Kev? I was looking at uh, passing out mistletoe as a gift or just to uh, friends and family, but how to take care of it, how will it last the longest once we get it down out of the tree? Ooh, wow. How are you going to get it out of the tree in the first place, Kevin? Uh, with a shotgun. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that because that is that is the most uh, commonly used mechanism in the South for getting getting mistletoe out of a tree. Up the tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I see mistletoe being sold in stores, you know, department stores and stuff next to the counter, and hardware stores as well. Usually around the you know, first couple of weeks in December, and it looks pretty ratty. You know, it looks like it was shot out of the tree six months ago. But if you shoot it out of the tree and it's fresh, I think that you could just simply put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in the crisper section of your refrigerator, and it would last, I would think, at least a month. And that's really all you need. Okay, super. Well, it's going to be a few more weeks before we, uh, before we start getting it out. Yeah. But- if I hear if I hear this big bear, uh, you know, big fusillade of, of shotgun uh, blasts going off in my neighborhood, I know you live near me, Kevin, and we'll see about that. Well, we live far enough out; the neighbors won't. Uh, they won't be affected. They may hear, it, but they definitely won't. They yeah, won't be yeah, affected. yeah. One of the things that I mean, do you know a little bit about mistletoe, Kevin? Do you know about the parasitism and all the other stuff that mistletoe is doing in a tree? Uh I guess I've heard it comes from bird droppings. Yeah, something happens, and yep. later on it becomes mistletoe. Yeah, that's exactly right. The birds uh, love the seeds. The little berries on mistletoe are delicious to a bird. Looks like, and so when they have to defecate, they might many times, of course, are going to do it there on the limb where they're standing, and the little mistletoe seeds will germinate and send a root that goes into the bark of the limb where it's uh, sitting, and then becomes part of the wood and tissue of the limb, and so it gets all of its nutrition and stuff from the sap that's flowing up and down in that limb and grows new leaves that photosynthesizes, sure, but it's taking a lot of moisture and stuff from the tree itself. And you probably have noticed, Kevin, that there are trees out in the country that just seem to be covered, loaded with, with mistletoe on them, and you don't see how the tree can, can survive, and it does weaken them. So it's not a bad thing to take them out of the tree. I don't know if a shotgun's the best tool for very careful <laughs> excision of a mistletoe plant, but if the tree is big and you get a few of the few of the big masses of mistletoe out of them, I guess it won't hurt the tree that bad. But nonetheless, I have seen trees not too far from a mother's house in Fayetteville where they just seem to be mostly mistletoe. That's all that tree seems to be during the wintertime. It's an interesting plant, interesting plant to, to observe, but as uh, I just said, it's parasitic and looks like it might weaken the tree sometimes. Well, one weekend you'll have to tell us about how the uh, the story come about where if you're standing under mistletoe, you're supposed to get kissed. <laughs> I just think it's a good story, basically a good excuse to kiss anybody around. <laughs> That's probably where it came from, Kevin. Hey, man, thanks for calling. Drive safely. Thank you. All right, we'll yes, see you. 404-872-0750, our number. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. 
<laughs> Only Scott Knight could find a song that had shotguns as one of the lyrics. Hey, quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. You can be happy today. There's no rain in the forecast. Kirk says, well, it may come back next week. We're not going to worry about that right now. But skies today, clear. Temperatures in the low 60s this afternoon. Not very bad outdoors. Clear skies remaining overnight. Low temperatures down into the low to mid 30s. A little more chilly than we're used to. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Jerry is out in Douglasville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jerry, good morning. Good morning. What's up? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a little dogwood tree that I dug up in, back in the woods behind my house yeah. about uh, five or six years ago. And it was about an inch in diameter at that time, and it died down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was dead, but uh, then it came back out. Hmm. And it came up with about five different shoots. Got it. And I'm just wondering, it's right now, it's been planted out there all this long, and it's only about five foot tall. And I'm just wondering if it needs to be trimmed down to one trunk. Wow. Man, this Jerry, this is one of those questions where I can go either way on the answer. One answer is, yeah, leave the shoots, uh, prune back four of them, and leave the fifth one that's straight up, looks like a nice strong uh, shoot, and see what happens. And the other part of me says, but it's never going to be really strongly attached to the root system because it's sort of sprouting off of the trunk, the original trunk that died away. And so it's really not ever going to be attached very tightly to the root system, and it's probably going to fall over one day. But, you know, I guess it sort of depends on what you want to do, Jerry. Either way, you'll learn something. Either way, you'll figure out that it's not strongly attached to the roots or that it'll get to be big enough to at least bloom a couple of times, and you've got a great start on a, on a tree because it's got that big root system to feed it. But it I say never- flip a coin. Flip a coin, Jerry. The heads, you take it away, and tails, you leave it alone and, and um, prune out the competing sprouts for it. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer here to let the let the coin be your guide. Okay, well, it never it never has bloomed. Eventually it will. Eventually it's going to get about six or seven feet tall and that's about the time they start blooming. Okay. Well, I'll wait a while and then see what happens. And see what happens. And it'd be nice if you called back in a year and said, you know, I left it or I took it down or I flipped the coin and just let us know what happened next spring. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Jerry, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Sylvia and Alpharetta will be with us next. She needs cuttings from a gardenia that is not flowering. We'll answer that question as well. 404 The number on Lawn and Garden. We'll be back right after news. Hey,